Welcome to the Leadership Adelics podcast. Today we're sitting down with Olivier Egli. He is the innovative mind behind the Bonfire Exchange and the founder of Why Story, created to help people on their journey to happy work. Our conversation with Olivier uncovers the power of storytelling and forging unified teams, provokes thoughts about the interplay between personal happiness and authenticity, and challenges conventional ideas of success. We'll explore transformative leadership styles, the importance of self-ownership, and have vision like Steve Jobs established immense value through intention. Venturing further, we delve into the age-old wisdoms of ancestors linking it to meaningful systematic change in our communities. Finally, we examine the harmony between personal and professional growth along with the quest for true happiness. Join us for an insightful conversation filled with essential life and leadership lessons. Enjoy and see you on the other side. Here we are, Olivier. Egli, welcome to Leadership Adelix. It's so good to have you here today and that you could join us. I'm so happy to be here, finally. Yeah, I was really looking forward to that because the last time we chatted, like that, we it, we just had so much to share um, and and about your journey, your story, and I can't wait to share that with the audience. How's your How's your day going so far? Uh, it's been uh, busy, it's busy times. There's a lot of movement happening, but movement is life and uh, flow is life. So I'm happy. I'm not complaining, but I'm traveling a lot right now and there's a lot happening and yeah, but yeah. I am so grateful to take this time and Thank talk you. to you because as you said, last time we had so much fun. It was so great. Yeah, yeah, we uh, and we're going to talk about happy work today. Uh, but but before that, you were just telling me you were heading to a, a retreat uh, today or in the next few weeks or whenever tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah, we're doing a retreat in Mexico with a, a couple of good clients of mine, and we're doing what we call the bonfire exchange, where um, at the end of the work. Because my company is called The Why Story. So when people have discovered their why story or also wild story, as we call it, um, we go to um, a place, usually a beautiful beach. We build a bonfire and we exchange our stories with each other, which is kind of like uh, the final litmus test for a lot of entrepreneurs and leaders to see how much they reconnect with that story and how other people resonate with that story. It's uh It's uh, something that's very, very important, very sacred, I would say. Um, And that really reconnects people with their essence uh, when they get to share their story. Because we're storytellers by nature. So that is really a very, very uh, important part of the process. Yeah. How did you come up with the the format for for a retreat like this? Um. So I have always been involved in storytelling. So I know about the essence of telling stories around the bonfire. That's something very primal, something very human. Because for ages, people have exchanged stories, cautionary tales and whatnot around the bonfire. And it's kind of like where knowledge is passed on. So to take this into a modern format in entrepreneurship where people have to stand for something and share their stories has proven to be so magical and so important that I wouldn't want to miss it for anything in the world. So now it's really part of uh, something that I do. I don't always do it, but with the people who really want to do it, 
we do it when we have a good group and then it's just unlike anything else oh that's wonderful how big is a is a group usually for for storytelling bonfires oh it's yeah, it really varies. And uh, now we're doing it outside of the US. It's going to be, it's it's a group of eight people, eight yeah. very, uh, very, you know, I, I'd say very stubborn, very <laughs> unique people um, who need a lot of space, who are given a lot of space. But sometimes if you do it within a group, like the same company, it can be as many as 30, 40 people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it, the format always changes, but the principle is always the same. Yeah, so. I love it, and and just like you were saying, this is in our blood. This is something that we've done for thousands of years: gathering around the fire, sharing stories, and and finding the words. Uh, I think there's a a big thing about the appreciation of the the language when you do that. And, oh yeah, and the, the words you use to describe your. I'm assuming people are people talking about their own stories and reflecting on that, and or is it more. Is it looking backward, forward? Like what, what is usually the story they share? So the story that people share is usually the story of the self, I call it. So it's they share why they exist. They share why they even get up in the morning. Why um, do you know that, that what drives them so that other people, when I do it in a group that's the same business, for example, it is the leader sharing the story of what they're trying to achieve in their doings and their actions and why this company exists so that their teams and their staff can relate to that story. Because people, they don't relate to business plans. They don't yeah. relate to numbers, to uh, you know uh, plans in general. People relate to stories. And if you have a leader that tells you, look, this is why we exist. This is what I'm seeking to achieve. This is the value I'm here to give. And they wrap that in a story, people instantly realize I resonate with the story and I want to be part of that story, or this story is not for me and I'm actually checking out. And then has created much stronger companies and businesses and teams where people are united by a story much more than united by you know, a, an, a, the accomplishment of a goal, of a business goal, yeah. of a strategy, of a, yeah. a you know. Um, and that's the magical thing. Once you share why you exist, people can now opt in or out, but based on the story, not based on market evaluation or you know yeah. like the standing of the company in general. So is it, it's a mix of of um, you mentioned leaders that the the people who are coming to the the storytelling are leaders and and I saw that you help hundreds almost th almost a thousand people yeah, uh, in yeah. in their journeys um, are those personal stories mixed with kind of leadership like business stories on where they want to take their business or like where's the kind of the the personal uh and then business aspect and and i think this touches on on happy work as well yes yes uh this is a great question to ask because the essence of my work is that there is no difference we are one person we have one story the difference between the professional uh, the professional expression of our story and the personal expression is just that one side is the doing and the other side is the being so you are who you are, but then you express who you are in your work. 
So there is only one story that we have to share. And when a leader shares their personal story and shows that the, 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 the business they built is the expression of their story, then people feel personally touched. Because yeah. it's a strange wall that we build, you know, between the professional career and the, the personal self. It's not real. Because if we do that, we become schizophrenic. We, we try to balance yeah. these two sides of our self, but we're only one person. We're one yeah. holistic being. Yeah. No, that's, that's beautiful. And that's, that's such an important message. How, do, how does that change people's lives? Now, you know, like the, the leaders, when they go back to their work after that, like, what, can you share some of the examples of things that you, some of the changes you've seen? Um, it's, it's very simple, actually. My entire work is, is geared towards clarity. Um, and clarity comes from self-ownership. So people who discover their story, they become owners of their own self again. They're not owned by foreign stories. You know, the stories that your mom told you, yeah. your dad told you, your mentor told you, your teachers told you, the world is yes. telling you, you own your own story. That gives you self-ownership, which gives you clarity on the self and then focus on your actions. These people become so relentless and wild, I call it the wildness, <laughs> that they become so relentless and unapologetic that they start to be so clear in what they're saying they do. But at the same time, they also polarize. Because when you start living your own story, there's a group of people who will love you. And it's a group of people who will not be able to stomach you because you're just too direct. You stand for something that's so incredibly strong that some people will not like that yeah. and i've seen this happen hundreds of times that these people go back into their businesses and suddenly they're like okay this is what needs to happen this is what i want this is what we need and suddenly there is this drive there is this unapologetic relentless showing up but standing for something and when you stand for yourself you will always have people who will be enamored with that. And that creates that surge, you know, surge within an organization versus you're driven by doubt and confusion. You're yeah. being pulled left and right. So I would really say the clarity is the most relevant thing that people suddenly have this incredible clarity in, of course, this is what needs to happen. Yeah. This is the, the decision that needs to be you know, taken. Yeah. Whereas before you were kind of like, hmm, should I, should I not? We need more data. We need more information. No, now the information is your story. Yeah. When your story is the source of your information, you tap into what I call intuition, the inner teacher. And a person that's guided by the inner teacher becomes completely invulnerable uh, towards markets and the industry and you know the, the fashions and the trends. That's self-ownership. That is invaluable. Yeah. No, I love everything you, you've mentioned and um, the fact that we tend to be programmed through marketing, advertising, what I call also weaponized narratives and making people feel that it's their own stories 
when it, it's really not their own stories and going through that work to rediscover their stories is, is huge. Um, and you, and you do have experience in, in telling those, those narratives to program people. Like I was looking at your background, you know, you, you've got background in advertising, you've, you've done a lot of work. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your own personal journey that led you to discovering, you know, that the happy work and, and using storytelling as a healing element rather than a, a maybe a, a manipulative element. Mm -hmm. You know all about it. We talked about it. We had a great yeah. conversation. About <laughs> I this. love and it. I, I, I remember like it, it left me so touched because whenever, you know, someone like you takes me back to that place and I realize again, that really needed to happen. Uh, it's just, it's just, you know, it's tumultuous. So yeah, as you said, I, I have always been uh, a, a uh, how should I say, like a, a um, proje or like a, a student of of narratives, of narration, of storytelling. I got my education and my degrees uh, in that in that you know direction, and I applied it for over two decades in advertising and marketing. I was at a high level in uh, advertising as a director. I shot a lot of commercials, and uh, I was co-owner of a production company where we our our business was to create stories for advertising agencies, but we used storytelling as a manipulative element as a way to make people buy things they don't need and and to buy things they actually don't even have the money for to clutter their lives right mm -hmm. we use storytelling to clutter people's lives and at some point i i reached a point for myself where i was highly successful in the traditional sense uh, you know i made a lot of money i had a lot of accolades i won awards and all those things but the more I did that, the more empty I felt. I, I felt like I was chasing something that would never pay the dividends of the investment that I gave. Like I gave more than I got in return. But the problem is that all the people around me told me that you're doing so great. You're killing it. So I lived in this strange disruption, disruptive state of the book says I'm doing well. The heart says I'm doing horrible. What's going on? And I kept pushing myself, you know, uh, more education, more gigs, more jobs, more pitches. And then suddenly I was like paralyzed. I couldn't move anymore. I couldn't get out of bed anymore. The lights went out. And I actually thought of taking my own life. I thought of, you know, just turning off the lights and be like, okay, that's it. Apparently life is not for me. Apparently this is as far as I'm supposed to go. And it was really, really a dark time. And, and I did go as far as, you know, trying to take my life. And thank God something pulled me back. And that something that pulled me back was I spent a day away from work and I went into a forest. Mm. I went into a forest. I walked for hours through a Swiss forest on a beautiful spring day. And I think I spent the entire day in the forest just walking, walking, walking. And I was just, as I was walking, I felt more and more clarity inside of myself. I, I felt like reconnected with myself in a strange way because the farther I got away from the noise, the deeper I went into the silence of the forest, the more I heard my own voice. And I realized there is a voice inside of me that is speaking to me, that is trying, that has been trying to say something for years. 
And now that I took the time away from all the noise that, you know, promised success, I heard that voice and I realized it was like something like you could call it the heart, the soul speaking to me and saying, hey, don't you remember who you are? Don't you remember what you care about? Don't you remember, you know, what we used to do, what we used to be passionate about? And so I sat down in the middle of that forest. And I remember this one picture. There was a tree. There was one tree that was just standing tall in front of me. Uh, I think it was an oak tree. And I looked at that tree and I realized one thing. My friend, I realized one thing that to this day has become the driving force of my life. The tree represents nature. And nature represents one thing, clarity on the self. Nothing in nature is unclear on what it stands for and what it needs to do. Me, on the other hand, I was this confused being that was trying to go for things that lied outside of myself. I was trying to pervert, distort, and betray my nature by saying, I want to be this guy. I want to be that guy. I want to achieve this. I want to have that. All the things that have nothing to do with my nature. So I made a pact with myself on that day. I said, all my efforts in my life will now, from this day forth, be geared towards rediscovering my nature and re-engaging my nature, and allowing my nature to be the driving force of my actions. And Mm -hmm. I never, ever looked back. Mm -hmm. So that time in darkness, you know, that dark time in my life was necessary for me to realize that I was a wild being and that my heart desired to be wild again. And that I am actually a... uh, I'm not going to say a missionary, but I'm a guide for people who also want to reconnect with their nature because at some point they feel like this is not working anymore. This is going nowhere. I realized that day that life is about a powerful choice. And the powerful choice that I made that day that I had to experience in that darkness was are you going to be a domesticated animal in a petting zoo or are you going to be a wild horse are you going to engage in your true nature which is this explosive wild wet screaming being that has a truth that needs to come out of you and you know color all your doings your words your actions or are you going to be a better version of your parents, of your neighbor, of what society wants you to be? Are you going to be someone who uses work to do a better job at winning the competition, the competitive game of life? Or are you going to do use work as an expression of the art, the truth that lives within you that can turn into value that other people need? Yeah. And, and, and for me, that was a, a decisive change in my life because before I was trained to sell people things they don't need, but make them want them. And now suddenly I became this person that wanted to use storytelling for people to give other people what they need. So there's a, a decisive difference between 
uh, selling people things they want, making them want it, and giving people things they need because they don't even know how much they need it. And when I did this, I walked away from a very high-paying uh, job, from uh, you know being part of an industry, uh, a career. I abandoned everything. I pulled the cord, I pulled the cable, I pulled everything, moved away, and engaged into something that I call my happiness journey. Because before I tried to be successful, now all I want is to be happy. Yeah. And as as weird as it sounds, I know people look at me like all, oh, you know, square when I say this, like, what do you mean you chose to be happy? Yeah. Traditionally, no one ever teaches us how to be happy, but only how to be successful. And we forget that in the end, nothing matters if you're not happy, because yeah. life is about an emotional experience, not a monetary financial material experience that doesn't matter if it has no emotional validity yeah so what um what is your definition of happy compared to maybe what we think happy is when we watch a commercial of a family getting up in the morning everybody with smiles yeah. and uh right. what, so many of those <laughs> so many of those what 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 does happy mean for you well it's actually much more simple than I thought it would be. Happiness is a state. Happiness is an inner state. It's not an outside reality. It's an inner state. It is something that is lived, not something that's achieved. It's something that you own, not something that owns you. Because if you think your car is your happiness, the car owns you. Now you don't have the car anymore. Now happiness is gone. But if you have happiness as a state in your the fabric, you know, the fabric that makes you, if that is your reality, so you wake up in the morning and you own your happiness, not because something happened, not because you're existing, because you live in your own truth. Now you own your happiness. And when you own your happiness as a state, you own your life. And yeah. this is the best we can hope for as human beings. It's the best. There's no, after that, there's nothing. There's just, oh, now we can use this to apply in the things we do. But without that, there's nothing. There's nothing left. So, you know, happiness used to be a trophy for me. It used to be the things that my mom wanted me to achieve, like good grades and a diploma, a degree, um, a wife, you know, children, card, you know, safety, yeah. insurance, all these things. Those things mean nothing because A, we know they can go away, right? Uh, that a spouse can leave you, a house can burn down, a job, you can be fired from a the company, can just go bankrupt. But happiness that is an inner state because you understand that happiness is the expression of the self is something that you own, you decide. It's just like someone talks to you in a poor way. Someone insults you. We tend to think this person now is taking over my happiness. It's taking my happiness away. Yeah. We forget that we are responsible for giving it away because otherwise it would mean that the world owns us. And that's the traditional thinking in business, but also in life in general. We think that, oh, vacation is going to make us happy. Doing yoga is going to make us happy. Uh, you know, uh, seeing a person will make us happy. No, we are the ones 
who give that thing the power to create our happiness. So it is very important that at some point in our lives, we regain that ownership and say like, wait a second, happiness, what does happiness mean to me? What is happiness as a state for me? Is it the things we I own or is it the state that I allow myself to be in by saying, you know what? I am enough. I, as a human being, I am amazing. I am all I need right here, right now. Because yeah. that's that's really what creates happiness in the end. It's to say in the morning, you get up and say like, I'm alive, I'm breathing, I'm here. This is awesome. I am enough. I'm not missing anything. And anything that I could achieve will happen or will not happen. And nevertheless, no matter what happens, it's perfect. This is also, to me, that's why happiness and perfection are closely interlinked. If you think that happiness is an outside thing, you will always strive for perfection, which for a person like me is very problematic because I'm a perfectionist. So I killed myself in my former job in like making things perfect. And it was yeah. never perfect enough. By definition, I was always living in the future. I was always living in like, oh, no, but tomorrow I have to do a better job and this sucks and I have to be better, I have to be better. And when you do that, when you say that I have to be better, what are you saying? You say that today I'm not good enough. That's what you say. And when you say today I'm not good enough, you basically say that right now you're not enough. And when you say you're not enough, by definition, you dismiss happiness as a potential state because you're not loving yourself. Yeah. There is no, no love for you. It's uh it's interesting you bring up perfection. Um because I, I feel there's there's a subtle difference there. You know, I think about craftsmen. I think mm -hmm. about people, you know, maybe uh who make uh the, the Japanese sword makers who look for perfection as they create the blade and everything. Um, but I think there's a difference uh, looking for per perfection in, in an unhealthy way and maybe in a way that's not aligned with your nature and looking for perfection as part of a craft and as part of following your nature. And I'm, I'm curious if you're seeing that maybe or if you felt that because I, I feel like, you know, I look at your website It's still very clean, very nice. There's a lot, you know, I know you still spend a lot of time and care mm -hmm. in, in doing what you're doing. What's the difference from, you know, maybe you chasing perfections before and, and it hurting yourself to now where I still believe you are following some perfection, but in a different way? So I think this is, this is such... This is so on point because it has a lot to do with how nature grows and how nature expands. And, and, and let, let me be clear on this. My whole teaching, my whole work is about you as a human being, you're like a tree. You want to expand. And expansion means you want to source your potential, who you are, the truth, And you want to spread it into all four corners of the world. That is what a tree does. If you look at a tree, it's like an open hand. It's like hand, a hand with fingers and every finger has another hand that just reaches for the sky. That's what we as human beings also want. We want to spread it out into the world. But in order to do so, 
we need to use growth. We need to grow from the seed to the fully grown tree. And now the tree is not looking for perfection, even though it's a perfect being. And perfection in this case means nothing but the accomplishment of the self in every moment along the way. Every moment, to see every moment as perfect, that's perfection. Now, if you're a sword maker and you beat yourself up today because you know you could have done a better job, that's going to make you sick because you will never cherish the moment. You will always think the moment is lacking. But if you're able to say, this is perfect and tomorrow I'm going to make an even better job. I'm going to do an even better job. Tomorrow I'm going to bring myself in even more, I'm going to try to bring myself even more into the world and I will take what I have today and I will, you know, elevate this. That's how growth happens in life. You know, the, yeah. the, 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 the trunk continues to grow because it realizes now is great and tomorrow a little more and a little more. But at yeah. some point, the tree stops to grow. At some point, growth stops. And we need to understand as human beings that we too need a healthy view on growth. We cannot all grow to become bazillionaires and like Jeff Bezos and, and be like killing it like certain people we see because if we did so, it would mean that we all want to be trees that grow 500 feet tall and are you know, the biggest tree you've ever seen. Can you imagine what that forest would look like? It would be completely overgrown. Instead, we need to understand what is my growth? How do I need to grow? What is my perfection? What is my speed? And embrace that. And once you stop growing, you know, once you reach that point, you operate at that, you know, at that roof, at that ceiling level, and you maintain what you have. This is something that in business, nobody understands. There's so many businesses that are still trying to grow, even though they're past the pivot point. And I, for example, I have a very small business. We're four people. And I have realized that we're already reached our pivot point. I don't want more. Yeah, I, beautiful. In, in order to deliver my value in the very best way, we have to remain at this size. But now traditional business thinking says, no, how can you, how can you scale? How can you scale this yeah. so that you can rake in more, you know, rake in more benefits so that you can reach more people? I'm like, that would actually endanger my value because yeah. I am the value giver. Yeah. So I can only give what I have. And yeah. that is the natural ceiling of my growth. And my perfection now is just to show up every day and give it all I have, but not judge the result from it and make myself the promise that tomorrow I will show up again. And what I learned today, I will apply tomorrow. And so on and so on. And then I think in those crafts that you mentioned, that's what we Westerners don't understand about Asian culture. Um, these people are not beating themselves up. Yes, they seem obsessed, but they see the beauty of their work. They yeah. see the magic of what's happening right now. They live in the present moment, yeah. but they also know there will never be a day where they will just stop and say, it's over. That's it. Because that is the nature of perfection is that as long as you live, you show up, you do your thing, you yeah. do your thing, you do your thing, you do your thing, you keep doing it. There's no retirement. There's no uh, retracting from giving your value. 
There's no stopping. But when your growth stops, it means that you now just keep doing what yeah. you do. You do it. You keep doing it. You keep doing it. You keep showing up. Yeah. It, and a lot of it is being in the moment. A lot of it is just living in the moment. And there's a lot of love and care, too, that, you know, uh, is involved with that, is involved in kind of giving and crafting. Um, you know, one of, one of the things that's interesting, you talked about earlier ending your life, and you mentioned it, uh, I think, in your bio as well uh, on your website. And you clarified, you actually meant it literally uh, just, just earlier. But like when I first read it, I was like, well, in a way, you did end a life. You did end a life you did not like. And you did, you know, start a new life. And I love that, that play of word that you had in there, which is like, oh, I, I don't really know what he meant by that when I first read it. And you clarified it today. But at the same time, you know, the other meaning is sometimes you do have to look at, okay, you know, this this is the life I led for a while. Mm -hmm. it, it's not necessarily in alignment. And I have two options, right? I can continue on that trajectory and I know it's I know how it's gonna play out and it's gonna be painful and dark, but you know, maybe I have external um gratification. Or I could say I'm I'm done with that like you did, and I'm gonna move forward and, and rewrite my story and change the course of my story, which you did. And, and, you know, the, I'd, I'd be curious what your, did you call it your nature journey? Like the journey you went on to at, at that point, what, what mm -hmm. was it like? What did you do? Did you do more nature, more exploration? I, 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 I want to take you up on something you said that I yeah. think is so important. Um, ending a life so brilliant, Sebastian, so brilliant because that's exactly true. It's something that human beings don't understand is that death is part of life. And at some point in your life, you need to die in order to be reborn in your own light. Because check this out. You're born as a wonderful human being, a perfect human being to your parents. But now you are in the responsibility, in the care of your parents, who, of course, want the best thing for you. And the formative years will show you how to best function in the world. So I call this trials and tribulations, right? When we're in our teens, in our 20s, we go and we try out things. We get our heart broken. We, 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 uh, you know, we go to college. Yeah. We learn things. We dismiss things. Uh, we get pushed around. We travel, right? We do all these things. But then at some point... Uh, you, your heart suddenly says, enough, enough. We can't go on like this. We need to reconnect with what was there at the very beginning. Now that we've done all these experiences, we've seen this, you know, check mark, bucket list, all good. Now it's time we shift the gaze from outside to the inside. Okay, what's there, right? What's there? But in order for this to happen, you have to literally be reborn to yourself, yeah. because now you have to be your own parent. You have to, you know, no, it's crazy from the thousand people that I worked with, I would say 88 to 90% were still 
attached with their umbilical cord to their to their mothers. Yeah. Especially men, you know, in the 30s, even in their 40s, they're still invisibly linked to their parents. We have to cut that umbil umbilical cord that has not been cut before so that we can be our own person. You cannot be your own person as long as you live in the shadow of someone else. And most of us do. I did. Yeah. I was still trying to be mama's boy. I was still trying to make my mom proud. I still remember the teaching, the lessons. I knew, oh, if I did this, my mom would not like it, you know? And so to kill yourself, literally kill the old self off by making that choice to choose your nature means that you are cutting that cord and you are being reborn into your own hands. That's what self-ownership means. Mm -hmm. Hey, I am now completely self-accountable, completely self-responsible. Yeah. But to do this is a very lonely process. It's very lonely. It's, it's, it's scary. I was terrified because I was alone. I, I went and spent so much time by myself during you know, that phase. Uh, I went a lot into nature and I, I I started, I thought I was losing it. I was talking to trees and I was caressing grass and whatnot, and that, you know. That's without drugs, right? Say what? W without that, drugs. Without yeah. drugs, which, you know, we talk a lot about psychedelics on the show, but nature is so powerful just by itself. And I, I think that's that's a really important point, too, about, about your journey. This oh, yeah. was like going in nature, breathing nature, and, and facing nature and, and being nature. Oh, yeah, being, oh, this is the thing, actually. You know, that's actually the thing. I realized as I went through, you know, this, this, this phase, I realized that before I drew a line between me and nature, but suddenly I became part of nature. You know, if that makes sense. That there was the, the big one, the big universal unity became so obvious to me. And I started talking to scientists. So I have through my, my former education and uh, friends and acquaintances that I have, have access to a lot of scientists in the field of uh, microbiology, biology in general, uh, botanists, uh, but also, uh, you know, during my short stint in medical uh, studies to now people who've been in medicine for a long time. And I started having conversations with these people about the holistic aspects of being alive and how biology, spirituality, but also business strategy are actually the same thing. And I'm now this guy who operates at the crossroad of these things. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to bring together all these things and realizing, wow, there is no difference between an organism, life itself, and creating an organization. There's no difference. If we engage in a false sense of growth, we actually engage in the same kind of proliferation that cancer or a virus pursues. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. If we don't understand what happiness means and use it for ourselves, we actually act against the biology of the human being. We act against our real nature. We become yeah. second nature. And that's what makes people so miserable. You know? And, and to go through that, but in an experiential way, 
You know what was the first thing that happened? The first thing that I changed, I changed my breathing. My <laughs> breathing changed. My breathing yeah. was the first thing I experienced changed. And I now have this exercise that I, um, that I do with my clients, which is inside-out breathing. Because traditionally, as a manager, you learn outside-in breathing. You breathe, <gasps> you breathe the room in, and then you fill yourself with the anxiety of the room so that you become the room. Mm. And then you exhale the com com consumed air. Yeah. That, is, that shows the mindset that we have in business. We're dependent on the outside. We make the outside our inner reality. But life is the other way around. We have to make our inner reality part of the outside. Mm. We have to share our inner reality with the world. So now what I do is inside out breathing is I breathe in, but as I breathe in, I imagine that the breath is sourced by me. I am the creator of my breath. And as I exhale, I give my breath away so it becomes part of the forest, of the system, of society. And as I did this, <laughs> I have to laugh because it's so, it's so crazy. As I did this, this I was like, what if my work was the exact same as my breath? I source my work and then I share it with the world. And boom, all my fuses blew and everything, all the night turned into day. And I was so clear on this is it. Yeah. That's the secret. That is the secret. Giving is the secret. To be giving, to be a giving organism of the universe, not a taking, because you go to business school, and I went to a fair amount of business schools, all you learn is to be a better taker. But I'm now here to teach people to be better givers. Because yeah. giving, man, giving is just giving is giving is everything. Wow. To give yourself to the world, you can die right now. And you die knowing that you gave yourself away. You gave. Yeah. That's a beautiful death. And it's very freeing too. I think just to give, there's a freeing aspect to it. Um, I love that you use the breath again in conjunction with talking about nature. Um, I had this beautiful vision once in the ceremony and it, it ties back to your tree image, but it was in an ayahuasca ceremony down in Peru. And I went inside my lungs and I saw all those little trees in there, all yeah. those little trees that had this, this beautiful relationship with nature. And, and it made me realize how much each breath that we took was a mark of that uh, coexistence with nature that had developed over thousands of years. And we were dependent on that. And, mm -hmm. and it was, for me, it became the, a sign of that unconditional love we get from nature. And that undeniable as a fact that we are connected with nature, we will go back to nature and be reclaimed by nature. And, uh, you know, hearing, hearing your story and bringing the breath and talking about nature, it just brought me back to that, which is like, you know, the, the fact that every breath that we get is a gift. Mm -hmm. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a gift to us, but in in the way you're saying it, it's a, it's also a gift to others. 
and an opportunity to share that energy. It's wonderful. I, I think that that is the essence. First, you have to realize the gift for yourself so that then you can become a gift to the world. And, and this is how I see unconditional work, uh, love work. No. Unconditional love is nothing else but to live free of judgment, to recognize the perfection of the moment, which is all that exists. The past is an illusion. The future is an illusion. All that exists, all that requires our attention is the present moment. But to give yourself completely into the present moment and to receive the gift that you have within you, but then not to hold on to it, but to give it away, like the apple tree gives away its apples. Yeah. It's what we can do with our work. And imagine at the end of your workday, if you can sit in your car and smile and say like, what did I give away today? What, what was it that I gave away? How much did I give away? Versus how much did I take? How much, how much did I receive? Shows the distinction between unconditional love. Unconditional love means to give. And conditional love means to receive. Now, you see that in partnerships, partnerships traditionally, and I'm so heartbroken to say that, traditionally people meet and get married, come together because of conditional love. The condition is, I will love you if you love me. I will honor you if you honor me. Um, as long as you take care of me, I will take care of you. That's bullshit. That's not how nature works. That's not, that, that's, that's pain. The real secret to happiness is to give no matter what. To yeah. give. It's just to give. The apple tree will not make it dependent on its mood or whether you're a nice person or not. If there are apples for you to take or not, it will not make it dependent on that. The apple yeah. tree is just happy to give. Once we realize that, we engage in true unconditional love, we will realize that unconditional love is something that always comes back. It's, it's a holistic system. Yeah. But it's about one specific concept. And I cannot stress this enough. Unconditional love is the art of creating space, freedom. So if you are in a relationship, business or private, and you engage in conditional love, you're actually crushing someone and yourself. You're taking away space. You're taking away freedom. Mm -hmm. If you're in an unconditional relationship with yourself, you give yourself all the freedom, all the space to be who you are. And what comes when we're free? Happiness comes when we're free. Freedom creates happiness. If there's no space, if you have clutter at home, you have toxic relationships, you're in a job that, that oppresses you, you have financial debt, and rather than paying them off, you keep ordering bullshit on Amazon, there's no space for your own self to develop. And as such, there is no way for happiness to be yeah. invited in. This is how these things are all interconnected yeah. Yeah. is mind-blowing. Yeah, and it goes back to nature too, right? Because like for you, going back to your story, that first space was going in nature when you yeah. didn't have any other ways out. Um, and uh, I love how you're 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 jumping on conditional uh, unconditional love um, because another thing I feel sometimes is is 
people are not used to it. Uh, they, they're not used to trust others who also provide unconditional loves. And, and I've seen a lot of people like that. Um, and, and this is why pet are so amazing. Like, mm -hmm. uh, is it, it hit me one day was, you know, the, the reason people like pets in general is there's this being that provides full unconditional love. And you can give them unconditional love back, though, you know, at, at some point you are, you could argue whether it's a, it becomes a, a symbiotic relationship uh, of, of just looking for that unconditional love. But I, you know, the, the pet looking for the petting and you looking for the happiness of the pet. Um, but there's still a lot of giving and, and more mm -hmm. trust. And, I, and, and that trust, rebuilding trust in each other, I think is also something really important that we're not necessarily taught. And mm -hmm. just like you, you were saying, we're, you know, we're, we're taught to take, 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 take. Yeah. And we assume others are probably taught the same thing. Well, that's, that's what makes the competition of the world, right? We're like, if I don't do it, someone else will. And then I will be left out in the rain. We should not forget that. When, when you, you can, each one can investigate for themselves. When did the narrative shift in their life from the understanding that we are holistic beings that are here to have a beautiful emotional experience and bring themselves into the world and that everything is okay to the notion that life is a race, life is a competition, um, it's about being first or second or third, that there's a ranking list, uh, that there is that there are some people who are better than yourself. When did that notion creep into your mind? <laughs> and, and for me, it's clear. And for most of the people I work with too, it's either the instant when you met with the teachings of your parents or the second you enter a classroom. The classroom has this formative power of, you know, organizing humanity according to ranking and performance. Yeah. And suddenly when you enter the classroom, your self-worth is connected with performance and not self-performance, but performance in the eye of society, like how well you do at a certain, right? At math or in yeah, yeah. geometry or whatever, which has nothing to do with your own truth. Nothing. Because that is a concept that's man-made. It's not something that re resonates with your own truth. But we should not forget, we were exposed to the competitive aspects of social life during our formative years. And now that we're grown up, we have to revert, uh, we have to reverse those effects. But who does that on their own? All we do. And that is something I, I really wanted also to share with you. Yeah. When people turn 35, 36, 37, or 45, whatever, and they realize mm, something is wrong, what do they do? And I, I did it too. They go to a therapist because they think they're broken. We think that once we're unhappy, doubtful, frustrated about our lives, oh, something is wrong. We're fucked up. Sorry for saying so, but I mean, that's the, that's, general, okay. that's the general story. And then the therapist will tell us, yeah, you're broken. Let's fix you. But we're not broken. It's natural for our heart to yell, enough, yeah. enough. We're not broken. We don't need fixing. 
That's why I do what I do. I, I keep telling, you know, the people I work with, you're fine. You're actually in the best state of your life because a crisis is a moment of a decision. Please do not think yeah. you're broken. Do not think you're broken. Guide yourself through the door and choose you. Stop choosing someone else. Stop choosing the lawyer, the doctor, the politician, you know, the false identity. Choose yourself and allow yourself to then dictate what identity you should have. But yeah. this is this is the craziness, right? This is this is what, what, what we think the midlife crisis is the end of the path. Oh my god, it's like it's over. No, it's about to begin. It's about to begin. That's when it gets great. Yeah. That's when, you know, things could happen now. Now you could choose yourself. And it's it's an essential part of being human, I believe. Like it, part of me wants to to ask you or or figure out a way is like how could you force that earlier in life or how could you help people get to that earlier or is there a way to bring up the kids differently mm -hmm. and and you know playing this out but then another aspect is like no there's a, a natural unfoldment uh you know even if you were in a tribe uh you know in the middle of africa maybe you'd you'd be learning to be in the moment but you would still have duties and teachings and and things that would be passed on to you programming passed on to you from previous generations and you're still probably going to have some type of midlife crisis so yep. you know there's there's part of me as as a kid i would always hear about the stories of midlife crisis like it's a bad thing like you're talking about like oh my god he had his midlife crisis he got divorced he bought a car and we have no idea what happened to him uh those are the you know the, the stories that told you to scare you from that but it's like no You want to welcome that. And at the same time, there's young people nowadays that are like, hey, you know, you, you, you've gotten that breakthrough and, and you're happy. And, you know, how do I get there sooner? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I get that too. And I think some of it is like you have to let it happen, right? I think there is a natural, there's a natural course to life. And as you said correctly, I think those moments are essential. They're essential. They've been with us forever. In any kind of cultural setting, people have to first endure the trials and tribulations. They have to be hurt. We have to get hurt. We have to learn about the world so that we can acquire that knowledge and then apply it when we're ready to discover who we are. Because without it, it would be impossible for a teenage person to already progress into that state without those experiences. We have to have our heart broken before we realize what the power of the heart actually is. We have to learn about the world so that then we can place our true self inside of the world. Um, I think this is very, very natural. And that's why in storytelling, there is the expression Rite of passage. I was right? uh, this was right on my mind as you said that. I was like the rite of passage that the rite we've of lost. Passage. The rite of passage. Look, I have a great, I have a great example from nature actually to underline what we're saying here. The butterfly and the caterpillar, right? The butterfly is not born the butterfly, it's born into the shape of the caterpillar. It has to endure 
the shape of the caterpillar, but then comes the thing, the transformation. And the transformation, the transgression, the midlife crisis into the butterfly, right, is a moment of pain. The caterpillar basically is dying. It's basically the death of the caterpillar reborn into the heightened state of the butterfly. That's, that's what midlife crisis is traditionally, naturally, when we want to be born into our true self. But now, the beauty of it is, as you can see, the caterpillar is a perfect being. It's beautiful. So are we, even in our old life, it's perfect. As I said before, perfection yeah. is the embracement of the moment. It was perfect that you had to go through being fired 10 times, losing, you know, whatever friends and people along the way, have your heart broken and trampled on. It's beautiful. This is all part of life. And I want to reinforce the fact that life is messy, is dirty, is painful. Yes, life is that. It needs to be that. Ask any tree. It's, it's crazy what a tree has to endure. The winters, the blazing heat, the drought, the birds. But that's what life is about. I'm not here to advocate an easy, comfortable life. That's bullshit. That is the false life. That's the protective life. Yeah. That's living for survival, for comfort, for safety, all the things that are not real. They're not real. Anyone listening to this? Life is not about being comfortable and safe. Life is about being wild. Life is about going out there and yelling your song into the world. Life is about being bruised and wounded and being like, yes. And at the end, when you slide into your grave, you're covered in bruises. You're covered in scars. And every scar tells you, I went there, I did this, I wanted to that, do that, and I went there. Yes, I lived, I existed, I brought myself into the world, and I'm ready to go. Versus cosmetically, perfectly, you know, packaged, being put away, not having lived, not ever having given space to that voice inside of you, just oppressing it. Bullshit. We have to go through the dirt. We have to. And, but, but it's through the about, dirt and back to the dirt and back yes, to nature. <laughs> yes. I mean, I. It's like an apple. It's like, oh, you know, if it makes it back into the dirt, uh, yeah. it's either pooped out or it's, yeah. it's been decomposed in the dirt, but yes. it's had a, a fulfilling life. But if it's you live life, happy. if you live life with, with, you know, this false notion that we learn again, right? The, the, the false stories that we learn that you have to be safe. Your mom just wanted you to be well. And that's not, through no fault of her own, our mothers traditionally, they want us to, you know, be preserved. They want us to be safe. No pain, nothing. But they do us a grave disservice, a grave disservice. When our parents want nothing bad happening to us, it's a little bit like we're never being exposed to the realness of life. In nature, you constantly see, and I live in the mountains, and I saw it with my own eyes, the mama bird pushes the baby bird out of the nest. That is the natural progression of life. Why? Not because it hates the baby bird, but because the baby bird has to learn to fly on its own. Mm -hmm. It has to exist on its own. So we have to cut that umbilical cord. It, since our parents or our teachers didn't do it, since we held on to it, we have to do it. We have to cut it. Yeah, we have to live for our own self in our own truth, 
And we have to take that responsibility. It's yeah. not the responsibility of the state or whatever to live for us. It's not the politicians that are going to live for us. You live for your own self. But that requires responsibility. And responsibility requires self-love. And self-love requires the attention and focus on the self, the willingness to even live for yourself. Not many schools in life teach you that. Yeah. Not many. I've got an 18-year-old finishing high school right now, starting college next year. So it's it's very appropriate to to think about that. And, yep. you know, I've had that picture of Papa Bird give him a kick in the ass out of the nest. <laughs> and, you know, like, and I, I'm, I'm split because I, I love him and, and everything. But uh, there's also, you know, non-attachment, which is different from from loving someone mm -hmm. that, that was another big lesson space. i had in a journey remember space you have to, if you yeah. love someone unconditionally you give that person space to develop yeah. right yeah so it, it, he's welcoming that he's, he's ready for it which is you know that's great i'm, I'm very happy yeah i'm pretty um, sure that's going to be very very fine yeah <laughs> yeah so All right, I, I I lost my train of thought for a second thinking about the the baby bird. I was well, he's not a baby bird anymore. I was kicking out of the nest. Um, <laughs> you did touch on on something that I, I thought was really interesting, which is uh, it's going back to um, companies and businesses that people grow further than they should. Mm -hmm. um, Can you expand a little bit on that? Because I've seen that pattern time and time again playing out, uh, especially in startups, um, uh, pushing the business further than it should be. And then, you know, how do you know, how do you feel, how do you guide people to know, well, you know, I'm, I'm fine where I'm at. Like, you know, I know how it works for you. You touched on that. But when you have clients coming to you, how do you work with them? to help them visualize that or visualize that point or be more sensitive to it? Well, first, first, I have to reconnect them with a natural, healthy way of understanding growth. And growth has become, in the business community, the, the, the main aim. All we want is to grow. But in nature, growth is a tool. It's not the reason for existing. Only cancer and a virus see growth as a means you know for survival we need to grow otherwise the organism is going to swallow us and we will not exist anymore so growth is only relevant for an organism that feels threatened in its existence so it's not healthy the real definition of growth is a tool that helps you to do a better job at being yourself That is the definition of growth. So in a tree, the trunk grows, the, the, the anchoring root grows, the branches grow to support the expansion of the tree so it can give its apples. So yeah. see, growth is tied to an intention. Yeah. Not many businesses tie growth to an intention. They tie yeah. growth to a business expectation, which is, again, conditional love so i teach my my the people i work with to reconnect with a natural state of growth by telling them you have to have a clear intention 
which growth will serve. You have to understand that growth always has to happen inside out. But traditionally in business, growth is outside in, the market, the industry, the customers, the sales. No, growth happens from within to the outside. Then growth is always incremental. The tree grows incrementally. It doesn't leap from one foot to 15 feet. But we think we should. We have to double, triple, quadruple our sales count, our head count, our sales, whatever. No, incremental is the path of growth. And, And growth requires you to check in on one simple thing. Are we still doing our best possible job? The value that we promised to bring into the world. Where and how do we need to grow to bring more more accessible value to more people? And once we realize, oh, we're focusing on the wrong things, we have to refocus. We have to create space in other areas. But it's very easy for someone, and I work with a lot of startups and founders, it's very easy to pinpoint where the end of growth will happen. It's very easy to say with this value, this is where the tree is going to stop. And that's what you need to know now for your vision. All you need to do is show show up every day and know that this point will be reached. That's no problem. Because even if your business stops at 50 employees, all you need with 50 employees is probably, you know, 2,000, 3,000 paying clients and that's it. You, We have this idea that we have to market to the world. We have to sell to the whole world. Everybody needs to be our customer. That's bullshit. That's yeah. traditional advertising that has created this lie. I don't need more than 10 clients a month. And yeah. I'm in the good position to have more than that. But this, this, this is it. Well, I don't want more. There's also a big difference between what private companies can do versus public companies. Um, and then, you know, like I think as a private company, you have a little bit more leeway, I'd like to think. And and public companies, thinking about the big ones I've, I've worked at, the shareholders expect growth. You've created a system where people mm-hmm. just expect something specific. Now, what I find really interesting is that you took the analogy of the apple tree and there's the, the company name Apple. Um, and, and what I, I like with Apple, what they've tried to do along the years is, is, a awareness of their DNA. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think as, as you go into an apple tree too, it's always good to remember you're an apple tree. That, that, that was my <laughs> learning when I went into that forest. Remember that's, that's, I'm all about that. But yeah. see, here's the thing though. And Apple is a great example because I started Apple intensely over the last years in, through my business, through the lens of my business. So I told you before, growth that is a meaningful tool always supports an intention. Always. There's an intention at the basis. And now growth is the attention that we bring into the intention in focusing on certain areas, right? Yeah. We focus on this, we're focused on that. You, you can focus on finances. You can focus on, on the HR. You can focus on, you know, the different areas. That's where growth can happen. But the intention never changes. It's like the mission in a company. And with Apple, there was one person that, of course, embodied the yeah. intention. 
That was Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was the anchor of the tree. He was the DNA. He represented through his own being the clarity of the truth. Yeah. And I always love that because he's an he's a symbol for what it means to stay connected to the intention. Now you might not like it because of his ways, you know how he behaved. Um that is his right because that's the culture that he, you know, that was necessary for him to stay focused on the intention. It was like yeah. you're either in or you're out. This is what we're doing. This is what we focus yeah. on. But now as long as you have that as long as you have that, you can always ask yourself, if we grow this, does it support the intention? And Steve Jobs would have been the first one to say, fuck this, we're not doing it. Even if for the shareholders, it would mean, but there's great market potential. It's like, no, there's no market potential because it doesn't serve the intention. Yeah, yeah. And that's where value becomes disconnected from the financial aspect. True value is not about money. True value is about does this, what we're doing, actually bring value to the people we're serving? And in the case of Steve Jobs, it was simplicity through design, right? Yeah. It's to think different, which means do our, do our products express the need that lives within him to think outside the box, challenging the status quo, and therefore elevating human mankind in the expression of themselves? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I have my doubts about the current state of the company because I can feel that the understanding of value has shifted back into a more traditional approach that is tied to, of course, market capitalization. Yeah. Before, the only market capitalization was like, I want to own the market of simplicity through the design, making the distance between the user and the expression of their art, of what they have to say, shorter. How can we make it as short as possible so that people can express yeah. what they have? Yeah. No, I think they're in an interesting state right now. I feel like they're they're caught between wanting to carry on, you know, Steve's DNA and um and honor that. And then the market pressure um and, and the more traditional pressure. And and the, you know, they just released the Vision Pro. Um, mm -hmm. headset that's going to be an interesting test because they made some very clear design decision this is probably that one of the boldest products they're putting out one of the most unnatural human interaction <laughs> they're they're putting out um but at the same time they're trying to be different um so you know i, I don't know where it's going to go but i, I at the same time um, you know, I, I love that that you know you're you're using the Apple tree. It's a little bit tied back to Apple and and the way Steve Jobs was, and um, you know how he was extremely focused, but he also he also knew what they could do and couldn't do. Uh, yeah, which, I, I think uh, he that awareness. He always he always saw growth as a servant to his cause. And not as the thing to go after. That's kind of like the conversation yeah. he used to have with upper management and the people, you know, who fought him on the regularly, uh, on the regular that they would see market capitalization as the indicator for success. And he just saw, are we doing the best possible job at expressing yeah. the intention we have through value that lives in our products? 
That's what he questioned. He questioned, and that's why he was a stickler. And usually these people are, people are reconnected to their intentions. They have to be sticklers because it's so sacred. It's so sacred that the message remains untainted, that it remains clear, and that the value remains available to the people. And I have my doubts with Apple, as I've seen with a lot of car companies that had a lot of value to give in the 70s and the 80s, even in the 90s. And now today, every car looks the same. It's basically just an own interpretation of a car that already exists. And that happened simply because management in companies has shifted from being someone who came from the factory floor and was connected to the value to people who are just educated by business schools. And when you're only educated by business schools, you only see value as a transaction. But if you're connected to the value in a product, you see value in the transformation that the product can give people. You want to see a smile. You want to see people changing their yeah. behavior. You want to ch- see lives change. And Steve Jobs' products, the ecosystems he built, they changed life. They changed the way we listen to music. Yeah. They changed the way we consume art and media. Yeah. Samsung doesn't do that. Samsung yeah. just right. builds products with specifications. Yeah. But specifications in Apple were never really that important. Like the, the, their products actually sometimes performed subpar. Well, I think when know? when the apple tree knows it's an apple tree and naturally gives and grows organically from that, it it's a lot easier to do that too. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, another thing about Steve Jobs is storytelling. Like he was, he was huge in storytelling, you know, how he presented the products, the word he picked, you know, how he talked about them um, with a lot of care, love and attention to details. Um, and I'm curious, I'm going to bring it back to how you help people. But like when people come to you and a big part of your process, the main part of your process is their story, own your story. Like, do people have the tools to like even be storytellers anymore? Or do you, is it part of your training and process to kind of help them with that aspect? So we're all storytellers by nature. We yeah. open our mouth and we're storytellers. We're, um, we, we use gestures and mimic and whatever uh, to, to tell a story. We tell someone about our day, about our fears, mm-hmm. about what we encounter, about the commute home. Uh, we tell someone a, a joke. But in our own words, in our own intonation, we tell a story. Uh, we are all attracted by stories, which can be seen by the way people consume uh, like, uh, television today or like cable or, you know, um, also on demand uh, stories. People love stories. The problem is just that people think that they're not storytellers. They think that yeah. there are people who are educated or natural storytellers. And they're simply not. They're just a clerk. They're just an accountant. They're just so whatever. But they forget that every time, as soon as they rise, their story begins. And the question is, are they owning that story? Or is that story owned by someone or something else? I would say hijacked. It gets hijacked. It gets hijacked. It gets hijacked early on. And now we have all these writers in our head. There's a big writing room in our head. Writing that story that's not ours every day and yeah. you. So what, what I help people with is 
reclaiming the writer's room in your heads so that you now own that story and every step of that storytelling becomes a conscious act. And yes, to your question, people own those tools already. And it's fascinating to see how quickly people progress into writing their story as soon as you just show them the door and tell them what could be possible and what they're doing right now. Because most people fall into depression, and I was one of these guys. I, I was Back then, I was clinically diagnosed with depression, uh, whatever that means. It just means like I ticked a couple boxes. I realize now the only thing is that I was not seeing the light anymore. I was losing, you know, that self-confidence, the self-connection until the day I woke up and I felt like I lived outside of myself. Like there is me and then there's this person yeah. and I'm looking at this person, not recognizing who it is, but also realizing that's who I'm supposed to be. Yeah. Right. So the story we tell, make sure that we, Go back into that body and re like own this yeah. entity again that's been remote controlled. Yeah, yeah it's, it, 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 it's interesting because you talked about how much of that is an inner process. I feel like what we tend to forget is that that inner process. We have the tools. A lot of those tools are acquired by what we're exposed to. Uh, whether we watch Netflix, we go to a movie, uh, we watch advertising, uh, directors will use specific shots, specific mm -hmm. music, specific pace um, to control that story. And, and those things seep into our subconscious. And when we tell ourselves stories, a lot of times, strangely enough, those are the things that are playing out. Uh, you know, if you tend to listen to dark music, to watch messed up movies that are done so well now, these are the things that, that are going to be available to you. So like breaking out, I think, as, as to be really intentional sometimes and, and stepping away and, and going to nature, I think, in a way, does some of that because it provides that space to yeah. reconnect with those tools mm -hmm. and figure out. Wow, what's what's the soundtrack I want to use when I, you know, when I'm telling my own story? What's the camera angle? Mm -hmm. Is it more mm -hmm. of a Hitchcock movie? Is <laughs> it more of a, you know, Marvel superhero movie? Is it more of a documentary? Like, how do I approach it? And I, I think like those are tools that sometimes we forget all, what all the subconscious picks up when we're exposed to all those things, even what we're reading. And it's good to just be aware of that so that, you know, when you tell your old story, you really intentionally use those tools to not craft something that's you know, post-apocalyptic, dark, and, and something that's more like, oh, no, like, I'm very grateful. I'm in a wonderful world. I've got a forest right next to me. The birds are singing. It's the sound of nature. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's true. I... I would even go as far as saying, uh, because that's the process that I, I, I put my, my, uh, the people I work with through. First, you have to obviously shift your mindset because a mindset that is wired for fear is incapable of engaging into its own story. Yeah. It's not, it will always reject its own story because it's not safe. 
it's instinctively not a, a proven path because your path is unique. It's never been walked. So a fearful mind does not want the unique story. It's the first thing I do. Re reconnecting, reshifting the mind into its initial state, the loving state that says, yes, I want my own path. But then, you know, with, with, with relation to what you just said, those tools, I'm actually of the, of the belief that we have to toss it all out. Hmm. Because the traditional storytelling, and I did this for over two decades professionally, um, is to work with tropes and stereotypes. Because tropes and stereotypes quickly latch into the mindset that's already there. Uh, a Marvel movie needs to very, very quickly engage the viewer and it can only do so if it taps into existing beliefs, opinions, bias, and all that. That's what it does. And by doing so, it does something else. It reinforces the bias. It reinforces yeah. the opinion. And that's what gets people stuck. And the trick there is to really become this completely neutral watcher, listener, that is able to realize what's going on. Oh, okay. You know, the manipulation, it's a little bit like the red and blue pill in yeah. the matrix. You, if you want to see the matrix, you have to step out of the matrix. Yeah. You have to take the red pill and say like, okay, but that comes at a cost. Because now you see the bullshit. Now you yeah. see it. You see what's happening there. And I will tell you this much. It's horrific how people have created an image of reality through the stories that are being brought to them. For example, people who watch, you know, these crime shows, they actually think that's how the police investigates crime. Yeah. It's not true. They actually think every surgeon is sexy, is like well-mannered, and is like, you know, involved in these dramas. And like, oh, the, the, the life of a surgeon or of an ER you know, ER uh, rescue worker is not what TV tells you. Life is not what those stories tell you life should be like because those stories need to reinforce bias and be readily, quickly accessible and digestible. Now, if you want to have our own story, we need to step away from these predisposed yeah. images and say like, wow, in my blank canvas, if I plant my seeds, yes. how does this story unfold? And it's, it's beyond Hitchcock-esque and, <laughs> and, and Kubrick-esque and whatnot. It's your own story. Yeah. And your life's work is now to bring that story out into the world. And that's when we see great musicians, great artists, great authors write things that blow our minds. We realize that's someone who planted their seed and are now willing to share it with us. And, oh, my God. And that's the original writing that lives outside of the tropes and the biases, the Jimi Hendrixes, you know, of our yeah. time. That's what we need. That's the true originality yeah. of the apple tree. Yeah. No two apple trees are the same. No two apples are yeah. the same. Why behave like we should all be Granny Smith and all look the same? Why? Well, be, why? Why? Uh, we've got lots of apples in Washington, uh, lots of different <laughs> apples. Um, 
I we're we're gonna have to, this is this is a wonderful conversation. We're gonna have to wrap it up soon, but um, I do want to do another call out. You you talked about I, I love how you expanded from tree to forest, uh, and and how we want to be a forest. Um, and you talked about Jeff Bezos, you know, being that giant five hundred foot tree. Um, it actually brought images to me not of orchards but of old growth uh, forest. Um, because we do have, you know, in, in Washington, there's there's a lot of those big, huge logs from the the old old growth forest that was uh, that were cut by logging in the early 1900s, I believe. Um, but like, there's there's really a potential of you know, in old growth forest, you still have big trees, and we all live together, and there's a lot of symbiotic between it, and. Um, and I think even though, you know, you take the the analogy of the apple tree, which is beautiful, I think there's the, the opportunity of having that old growth forest back, mm-hmm. you know, which is healthy and big, strong tree that own their space. And it's not, you know, no, you don't have the 500 foot tree that takes up the resources from all the other trees, but it's you're your bringing back that healthiness that healthiness and that, you know, and then there's a lot about the mycelium network and how they talk together. Um, but anyway, it's just a call out. The Secret Life of Trees. Secret wonderful, Life of Trees. Wonderful book. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And it's actually you know, scientifically proven that even when a tree, you know, breaks off and there's only a stump left, the forest will rally to keep that stump alive. It's still alive. Because that stump contains knowledge. It contains knowledge from hundreds of winters, uh, hundreds of summers, times and times that we're mm. endured. There's knowledge. And we, we should learn to understand that a community, just as much as a society, is made up of many, 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 many million and billion different trees who all know something. Every tree knows something. We all, you know something, I know something. We're here to exchange what we know. Now imagine if we human beings could live together in this connected, giant, ancient forest where we realize that just because you retire doesn't mean you're not valuable to society anymore. Your knowledge needs to remain available to the community. And that every person has something unique to give. And we would tap into that uniqueness and make it available. Again, giving, giving. We would be giving trees. And we would not believe in retirement. We would say, like, even though I'm 75, 85 years old, I still have something to give. And we would readily accept it. Imagine how that would shift the entire idea of a society that is interconnected where we all become giving in nature, but we also realize that every bit of knowledge that's needed to solve problems is available. It's all already here. That's what that's what beats me, that we have today systemic issues, systemic issues that are all created by us, and we are the ones keeping ourselves in the dark. When we have all the answers, yeah. all we would need to do is to shift our understanding of what work is and become giving in nature so that this value becomes accessible to the entire society. That would solve everything. It would balance us just like a forest is an automatically balancing ecosystem. Yeah. 
all goes back to giving. I also love um, talking about elders and wisdoms uh, and appreciating our elders more and the wisdom they can bring. Uh, mm -hmm. I think it's connected to to what you're talking about. Um, and even in death, they're still giving. It's if you take the trees and the stump, like you were talking about, I've got some huge stumps, old growth stumps on a on a property I have. And those stumps, I've had to pull a few out, but I tried to leave as many as I can in the ground and, and honor them because they're wonderful. They're beautiful. Mm -hmm. There's life around them. There's life under the roots. There's water that is collected there. There's little mice. And it's it's amazing. And just mm -hmm. knowing that in in their death, they're still giving. They're still mm -hmm. giving and the, that wisdom is still is still there. It's still helping. So um, beautiful, beautiful image there. Um, uh, so let's uh, let's wrap this up. You, not you, easy, huh? Not you, easy. It's not easy. It we could we could talk. <laughs> you, we could talk for a long time. We just need a, a bonfire there and, and do this in person. That'd be amazing. Um, it will happen. It will happen. Especially, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'd love to get together in Washington. It'd be wonderful. Um, you have a podcast, and and what you probably didn't know about the podcast is your first episode came out about four or five days after the first episode of my podcast. So oh we started, God. we started our podcast almost at the same time. Uh, and so oh, this I, is so great to hear. Yeah. I, I recommend people um, check it out. What's the name of, of your podcast? It's called the do happy work. Podcast. Do happy work podcast. I, yes. I love this. You um, you also have a, a book uh, that you're working on as well? Yes, I have a book that uh, I have been working on <laughs> feverishly. Um, it's, it's, it's happening. I cannot give any dates. I can just that, you know, the baseline, it's coming. It's coming. I love it. It's a process. Like, yeah, I wrote one book. Uh, I don't have a calling to write another one right now. And it's a very mental process. And I think like you not giving a date, it just shows respect for the process and, you know, letting it unfold. I, I have no choice. It works on me just as I'm working on it, but I, I'm of the thinking, and that's actually how I kickstart my process. Once people become free to engage in their story, I'm of the thinking, if you only had one book, you could write in your lifetime. What would that book be? Yeah. And that's the book I'm writing. So therefore, <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> yeah, take your time. <laughs> that's good. That's wonderful. So you, a book, and then and then you've got your coaching work, uh, and then online courses as well. Uh, the online are courses are also there, uh, in the completion phase. They're okay, going to be available yeah. in a couple of months from today. Okay. Um, this is also like due to like so much happening yeah. right now. There's a lot of traveling. Um, we have also retreats in, in, in our place in South California that we do up on the mountain, tucked away in the forest, Wonderful. where we invite people who want to go through the wise story process uh, on one and two day retreats. We do that. That's going to change in terms of location. We're also doing it in Europe. So people from Europe, we're interested in knowing more. We do that in Vienna. We do that in Paris. Um, and there's going to be more happening. But again, only as much as I can do. <laughs> Great. Well, that already seems like a lot. Uh, so I, you know, I, I'm like, 
that's that's impressive um but you're you're just being your your own apple tree and and knowing your limits i love it you know you know um great now how what's like what's the best way for people to engage with you if they want to if if they listen to the podcast and they they feel feel called to reaching out and and what could they see this you know how could they this engagement unfold with them like how could you help them so um i understand that uh, this is it's very personal work a lot of people even if they are in the depth of darkness sometimes don't want to admit that they you know need a little push um i understand sometimes the commitment at this moment is too much i always invite people to uh, shoot me an email right that's olivier at y-story.com uh for you know a brief chat i love to hear from people where they stand what 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 their emotional reality in, in with regards to themselves or their work is right now in a, in a brief phone call it's also then that i can tell people more like what i would recommend i'm again i'm not a salesperson at all it's more like i like for people who are in a bad place to know that it's actually a great place and that it's an opportunity and if there's a way i can help i will always propose that but sometimes people just need more time and more attention for themselves um check out the website there are different ways to reach out there as well that's um uh y-story.com uh i also have a newsletter that i you know where i share uh articles specifically around happy work and about re-shifting our work towards something that expresses our nature uh on the regular uh you can either go on the website and subscribe You will find also ways on LinkedIn, for example, where I'm under my regular name, Olivier Egli. Maybe you can leave that somewhere in the notes. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and I'm on social media in general, but I'm not really a social media person. Like, I really love the personal interaction. So email is probably the best. But definitely check out the podcast. I'm sure the podcast can address a lot of things or maybe make people more curious in specific topics. Also, very important, every third Wednesday of the month, just started in May um, at 11 a.m. PST, I have something that's called Open Office Hours, where for 45 to 60 minutes, I just open a room on Zoom, and we just get to talk about the bigger questions behind work, uh, how to reconnect with work. Things, you know, that preoccupy people, but that maybe they cannot talk about on the regular or with their colleagues no. or their family members. So we do that every third Wednesday of the month, 11 a.m. on Zoom. Uh, it's free, but you have to sign up. You can do that again on the website or on Zoom. Oh, my God, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm like hugging your your beautiful show here with like that's wonderful. It's, I, no, I, I don't like is... that. <laughs> Oh no! This is great. I I I love it. I like how you're um, doing all this. Uh, how you're giving, uh, giving space, uh, giving space with your office hours. I think it's a it's a beautiful commitment. Uh, your your retreats. Um, that's that's wonderful. So, the, is there anything else? Uh, any any questions you might have, or anything else you wanted to cover that we didn't cover? I will just say one thing, and that's kind of like what's kickstarted everything. 
I just want to invite people to be like an apple tree. Mark my words. Next time you do something and you don't feel great about it, next time you choose something that feels off or you're having second thoughts, just remind yourself to be like an apple tree. Remind yourself, what would the apple tree have done? Um, What is your true nature? Are you really aware of your nature or is something else pulling your strings? It's really all I can ask for, um, for people to give themselves the space to investigate what they think is comfortable and known. And um, with that, I'm out. Yeah, thank you, Olivier. And and thank you so much for giving me the space. You created a beautiful space here. And I think we filled that space very nicely as we, we always do <laughs> thanks for listening if you like the show please subscribe to it on apple Podcasts. follow me on instagram at leadershipadelics or stop by my website and say hi at fuyat.com that's f-o-o-y-a-d there's a lot going on and i'd love to hear from you all the listeners that tune in every week and and if you have suggestions for future guests don't hesitate to reach out i'm there and uh, i'd love to get more guests on the show thank you have a great day